Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various roles and haunted gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about dire creatures. So, the word dire actually has a rather odd use in Dungeons and Dragons, which is that instead of automatically just meaning, you know, bad, evil, like, you know, the dictionary definition of dire, then it really does more refer to just big things. Uh, What is also rather odd about 5th edition in particular is that they've actually minimized the use of the word dire in their creature descriptions. In older editions of D&D, there was a dire everything. You can have like, you know, the dire bear, dire Dire rat, everything was, you know, the dire version of the creature. But for some reason in 5th edition, they seem to have made the choice to primarily use the word giant for just big versions of creatures, which just doesn't have the same oomph to it. Yeah. So for most of this conversation, even though most of the creatures are just like giant this, I'm going to just stick to using the word dire because I feel it honestly just is a better descriptor for the type of creatures that we're going to be talking about. So, uh, that being said, uh, actually, you know what, let's do something a little different. Nathan, do you want to start us off by talking about big things? Sure, big things, let's go. Number one, the most common dire thing that most people know about that probably have fought against. The the, the dire wolf. Yay. (laughs) So, the dire wolf is like a wolf, but big. (laughs) That's the dire wolf, boys. (sighs) <sighs> this is why I don't let you talk. <laughs> all right. No, in all seriousness, though, you are correct that, you know, the dire wolf is like the typical dire creature that most people talk about. And that is because that is one of the really only fifth edition creatures that actually uses the word dire. Uh, fun fact, it actually is the only beast that actually still uses the word dire i'm honestly not certain if they did just by accident miss to label it as giant wolf i'm really just not sure but by fifth edition rules is written it is the only dire beast which is a little bit sad poor lonely dire wolf anyway uh so let's talk about just a little bit of what makes a dire creature different from their kind of default version. So for the sake of this first comparison, I'm going to look at the dire wolf and just the regular wolf. So the regular wolf is a one-fourth CR beast that is a medium size, uh, 13 AC, 11 hit points, yada, yada, yada. It's a beast. Nothing, you know, terribly shocking in stat block. However, when we glance over from the wolf to the dire wolf, it is very easy to see the differences in stats for the dire wolf in comparison. So first off, it is minimally different in AC. So it just has like a slightly thicker hide. So it's a 14 instead of 13, but hit points is 
definitely the most noticeable difference, which is that it is 37 compared to the regular wolf's 11. So this is also just another just kind of classic creature in for druids because the direwolf is indeed a typical beast. So a CR1 beast means that the direwolf is actually a pretty good creature to use for a druid's wild shape like we talked about a lot on Tuesday. Uh, also, in addition to that, uh, the wolf is the direwolf rather is bigger, hence dire. So in this particular case, it is a large creature instead of medium. So for the sake of some perspective, a large creature is the same size category as a horse. So think a wolf that is upgraded to the size of a fucking horse. And that is a terrifying thing to imagine in a fight. And just something else to think about, like, Wolves in particular are a pack animal, and that actually is why they have a class, uh, not class feature, uh, just a uh, ability called pack tactics, which gives them advantage against any creature that has an ally of theirs within five feet of the creature that they're attacking. So you don't need to flank for advantage for a dire wolf or just any creature that has pack tactics. I, I like that ability a lot. That's the only reason I decided to mention it. Anyway. The thing that is slightly odd about the giant creatures in 5th edition is that there are no templates or rules or there's nothing consistent about like how do you make a creature into a giant version. So we're looking at, you know, here the wolf and dire wolf. So it's one size category larger. It's got, you know, more hit dice. Its attack does more damage, but it's different for everything. So you could also then look at something like the ape and giant ape, which is way, way, way different. So for ape and giant ape, the ape is one half challenge rating, while the giant ape is a massive seven challenge rating and it upgrades from a medium size you know for the ape so the normal just you know humanoid size up to huge which is the same size category as a fucking elephant so there's no fucking pattern anywhere and it just pisses me off uh also uh this may come as a shock to some of you but i like math wow and the apes shut up <laughs> so the apes fit like the apes punch deals a 1d6 plus 3 and we have talked in the past like uh, when talking about enlarge and just big things in general that the the rule is supposed to be that okay each size category up adds an additional damage die which would mean that a huge ape should be 3d6 instead of 1d6 but but they didn't do that instead it's 3d10 so they upgraded the damage die in addition to the damage dice, which is not how that's supposed to work. Why aren't they consistent with their math? How dare they? That like legitimately pisses me off. Like I said it jokingly, but I'm not pleased with them. <laughs> <laughs> the point that I'm trying to make, though, is that there is not a formula to use. And while I consider that to be a flaw it doesn't have to be this is just my own well-known personal biases just pro math what it does mean though from the dm perspective 
is that there are no rules. There are no written rules for how you can choose to upgrade a creature into a giant version. So if you want to just have there be something that is just massively, you know, more powerful than the original version, you can do that. So like another example of just how that could be. Okay, the giant spider is a classic creature. Normal spiders, not exactly very big. Like even the biggest spider would still be tiny by D&D, you know, size categories. But the giant spider is a large monster. So again, horse-sized spider. So then you have, you know, tiny, tiny spider going from tiny, small, medium, up all the way up to large. That is a massive, massive upgrade. So there really is not any kind of limit on what you can do. And this does create opportunities for dungeon masters because there actually are quite a number of listed you know, beasts that are giant type creatures. But they, again, whatever you want to do, you can. So if you as a dungeon master want there to be a particular type of large creature that just doesn't exist by the normal rules, there's no reason that you can't. Uh, just, you know, one example, I am a massive fan of rhinoceros. Like that just is one of my favorite animals. So if I want in D&D for there to be a dire rhinoceros, there's no reason that I couldn't do that. And that is something that I enjoy a lot. Like, How fucking scary an idea would that be? Because a normal rhinoceros is not exactly a small creature. So if you imagine an upgraded dire version, then I can go ahead and just make it, you know, a gargantuan creature. It's like the size of an elephant. Because I can. Like if I want it there to be, uh, or I, I could know. just do that kind of, uh, you know, slightly asshole DM thing of like, oh yes, it's a rhinoceros the size of an elephant with an oddly stunted horn charges at you, and just like to see if wait, st- like see if they catch the detail about the stunted horn to realize it's a baby, and then if they kill the baby dire rhino, then you introduce mama. Wait, I, I have a question. How much would it weigh? <laughs> Lots. So actually, uh, exactly. <laughs> that actually brings me to a very important thing that I actually did plan to bring up on this episode. Uh, have you ever heard of the square cube law? Okay, so that is, uh, how do I even describe So it's a scientific law, but what it refers to is the relationship between you know volume and surface area for bigger things. So do you remember how, like we talked before when we were talking about enlarge, how that when something doubles in size, it increases in volume by a factor of eight? Not at all, but cool. (sighs) Actually, wait, I think that was in sex magic of all things. But anyway, uh, the important thing, though, is that like, let's say that you have like a, a one meter cube and then you want, you know, you enlarge to two meters. So. If you think about it in terms of volume, it's twice as tall, twice as wide, and twice as long. So two by two by two, so then mass-wise, it goes up by eight times. So this is a problem, though, when you have actual larger creatures. So bones 
are strong at the size that most creatures have them. However, bone has physical limitations, obviously. So once you do scale up in creature size, then mathematically speaking, like there is a point where creatures just can't get bigger or else bone would just shatter every time that they stood up or tried to take a step. So, you know, that law is the square cube law. It's just talking about the relationship between just size and volume and surface area and, you know, all that stuff. So the only reason that I bring that up is that in a magical world like D&D, that doesn't seem to exist because you can just have, you know, 50 foot tall creatures like they're just are you know dragons and other things that are just are gargantuan but it is just worth understanding that like in the real world physics prevents creatures being that large like that's why the largest creatures live in the ocean where you know gravity is mitigated by buoyancy anyway math me you know how i am (laughs) what i do want to just kind of steer this towards though and part of the reason why i'm mentioning this at all i believe that it is useful as a dungeon master to understand why things are the way they are so for me i like thinking about how physics and magic interact but the more sane version would just be as a dungeon master why are there giant creatures so yeah it is just a commonly accepted fact in D&D that yes, there are giant creatures out there, but why? That is what I want you all to think about. So like, Nathan, what would be your take for why might giant creatures exist in a world? So honestly, if I were to give a reason as to why giant creatures exist in Riftwake and stuff, I would suggest that imagine in a world where there's magic and stuff and like, a new species of giant creature comes about. So naturally, um, like you, since there's more food and such, may, maybe it's easier to reach those larger proportions or where maybe being larger might uh, assist you in actually surviving out in the wild. Because in the modern age, most things can be like, in a world where magic is a thing, things that are tiny die easy. So if you're larger, you're more likely to survive out there and less likely to actually get killed by like the random human with a wand or something like that. Mm-hmm. And again, this is one of those just types of situations that I really, really like, where it is just totally open to the creativity of the dungeon master. Because if you want it to be a situation of, yes, it's the kind of thing where because food is more plentiful and just because magic helps mitigate those concerns of physics that I mentioned, so that just doesn't apply, then you can have creatures just naturally grow to enormous size over time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But you could also just choose to go other directions. You could choose like just one interesting fact of D&D in general is that the culture in world 
generally seems to be frozen. Like because of the fact that you do have, you know, dwarves and elves who live for hundreds and hundreds of years, that the culture seems to be very slow to evolve. So where that comes into play here is that it could very easily be that a lot of the giant creatures are just magical experiments that either, you know, a wizard just releases into the wild after they're done with their experiment or like the wizard dies and they all escape. So you can have it be that it's a situation of magical competition where like maybe there are just entire like secret societies of magic users that are just like, playing with magic for all intents and purposes just like trying to understand the world and just understand how magic interacts with life and that that those experiments could just take the form of you know just pumping magic into animals to see what happens and then maybe that's the reason that so many such creatures exist in the world so that's actually the angle that i've taken in my own games where there is just this just area where there's a group of just really, really bored, stupidly powerful immortal magic users. And instead of just like playing with toy soldiers, like they've just taken to using magic in just escalation against each other, just to make all of these just giant creatures fight each other to just entertain themselves. Because like when you are old and like immortal and powerful, you get bored. So you're just trying shit to see what happens. But then like every so often, you know, some of these creatures just escape the area where they are and then just end up out in the world. So that's where you have like the rock, you know, that just 200 foot wingspan bird that I like to mention. That's where you get like something like the Kraken or something like just any of the giant creatures that do exist in D&D like has these guys as the source of that form of magic and just having it be something that is an explanation just is something that appeals to me. My players actually just learned about them, their existence this last month. So then you have the kind of situation of, wait a minute, so these creatures all exist in the world, but if these guys continually escalate, that could be really fucking dangerous for the world. So now, even though the players are all level 20 and like these creatures that are you know very dangerous to you know civilians and commoners and such are not as much a threat to them like they know that oh shit if this keeps going like they might accidentally you know create a world ending threat if not purposefully and so having some idea of a source of these creatures can even besides just the danger of the creatures themselves just create all kinds of potential plot hooks and as i say so very often anything that creates an infinite amount of options for you as the dm is something to be appreciated and considered so think about what you want to be the source of your giant creatures and again like nathan was saying earlier you absolutely can just have the reason just be food so another actual uh, option goodberry is a druid spell that exists but there's no reason that like in a sufficiently magical environment, what would happen if you had something like a goodberry bush or a goodberry tree or something like that? And what would happen then if animals ate goodberries and, you know, animals being dumb because they're animals 
just ate, you know, dozens and dozens of good berries, which is, you know, magically each berry fills a person. That's like the start of a like um, a, a folktale where like a kid goes out in the woods, finds these odd berries, eats them and then becomes giant and comes back home. Maybe. Well, that's the thing, though, like a human who eats that would probably like eat a berry and then feel full because that's kind of what the berry does. Like It's sufficient nutrition for a full day. So well, actually, then again, like you said, child. So, yeah, they could be a little less than wise. Yeah, maybe like you could you could have it be a thing like maybe that is just like a kind of weird wild magic ish effect. Like if you eat too many good berries, maybe you just start to grow. Or if you do just like eat certain like magical foliages, like actually come to think of it. uh, We did mention again back when we were talking about enlarge that uh, in one of the adventure books, there is like a magical mushroom, I want to say, that grants the effect of enlarge. So it could just be that, oh, okay, if there are creatures that just live in that particular valley that just survive eating these, you know, mushrooms of enlarge, then maybe just eventually after, you know, generations of creatures eating these plants, they just are permanently big because that just has become a part of their internal magic. But anyway, so that's some of the behind the scenes stuff. I do also just think that it's worth considering just okay giant monsters or giant beasts and just all kinds of things exist out in the world so how like if you choose to explain it at all or if you just accept that they're there either way is fine but it is an important thing to talk about in terms of the lore of your world because something that again does not come up terribly often in D&D is the idea of unusual creatures because in D&D from our perspective all creatures like all magical creatures are unusual but we have a fascination in our world with cryptids things like you know Bigfoot the Loch Ness monster just all of those types of things but in a D&D world what are those types of things like what are like the creatures that have stories and legends behind them what kind of you know hunts or expeditions go after them like in all of the dnd i've come across it is only jason on the dungeons and randomness podcast that has really done this well which is to actually put there to be lore for creatures so You've probably heard us make the joke a lot about how much does a heavy thing weigh, and I reply, lots. That actually is a reference to Dungeons and Randomness, because even besides the more cryptid angle of things, there are also just creatures that have lore behind them. So that podcast had a dire bear by the name of Old Claudius that was just a big old bear that is just strong enough that most of the people who encounter it just die. And if you do have a dire bear, that makes sense because that is something that, you know, most commoners would be completely ill-suited to ever dealing with. So it would just have time to just eat and grow stronger and older and, you know, more clever as a beast can do. But it is something to consider just to have lore behind certain creatures to let there just be something special about specific monsters in the world like yeah you can have you know your here be dragon type of situations where oh okay yeah that's a place to avoid but giant monsters like when you do have 
just that like people are afraid of things that are bigger than them, things that you know might potentially eat them like it is just hardwired in our you know human lizard brain just that there are certain things to be afraid of and as a dungeon master that is something that you are encouraged and possibly even required to really put thought into i would say because yes there are you know giant spiders in D&D and that is a creature that is used a lot but why why is the giant spider in particular so scary to us on planet earth like it is in so many forms of mythology it is in so many just works of fiction because it is something that just does you know mash that fear button in our lizard brain of just this is a creature that should not be it is too big it is poisonous it is vet you know it might or sorry venomous not poisonous not that it matters in D, but i care anyway but like have the giant spider like could you imagine if in D, like uh actually nathan have you ever read lord of the rings yes I have. Cool. Okay. So you're aware of uh, Shelob, the giant spider. So to have there be, again, to give creatures names is like names are power. That is a really true thing in D&D. To let there be special versions of the creature. Like whether you give them, you know, better stats or not, honestly doesn't even really matter at that point. But from the lore building perspective, it is incredibly valuable for there to be something unusual or different in certain places for certain creatures. Like imagine if you do just have this, you know, one particular fishing village, for example, that just part of the lore of the place is just like Hey, yep, we got good old froggy in the swamp keeping away the predators and it makes a real nice place to live here. Like old froggy, what? So you could just have there be just like a giant toad and like maybe even, you know, a <laughs> dire toad to just upgrade it a size category farther. And then you just have this thing and, you know, the villagers just, you know, toss it all the extra fish bits. So it's happy. It leaves them alone because, you know, humans maybe could even be like too small to feed its appetite. So it just goes after like the bigger dangerous things that surround the area so you can have this kind of symbiotic relationship between you know old froggy and this town and that's the kind of thing that like that gives like a feel to that place like oh yeah you know that's where old froggy lives and just that is a bit of a lore for the world it's this creature like not every creature has to be you know evil or just hungry enough to try to just eat anything that goes after them. You know, on the other hand, maybe they are. Because one of the other potential downsides of big creatures is the idea of they got to eat. It's like I can't even imagine just the dietary requirements of like a huge sized creature. So if you have, you know, like a giant elk, for example, that is a huge sized creature, you know, which is again the elephant size category. So if you have an elk the size of an elephant, that is a lot of grazing that that creature would require. Like, I can't even imagine just like the quantity of grassland that that thing would require just to stay fed. Like, you'd almost need 
magic to keep such creatures fed, which again can go back to the just debate that you yourself as the DM can have of is this a creature that is naturally evolved or is this a creature that is a result of magical experimentation? And then you could actually even play with that idea even more because you could have the idea of, oh, you know, there's these, you know, creatures out there that are just the result of magical experimentation, but they are not suited to survival in the wild. So maybe there is some like druid circle or just like, you know, PETA equivalent of some type that just like is trying to like wrangle all of these giant creatures to like set up a zoo. Like and just have it be like a conservation plan of like capturing all of these creatures so that you can just like protect them and just to let them, you know, live out their lives in comfort and just with adequate food. And like that could be an entire fucking campaign of like, could you imagine the difficulty for just all of the giant creatures that do exist out there in D&D and to have there be just like a party that works for this organization like and the difficulty involved of trying to catch like the giant elk which is you know an elk so it's not a slow creature by any means so trying to just like chase this thing on a horseback just to keep up with it like you know you could even go with like ropes and lassos you know nets trying to catch these creatures but then you also have something like the giant scorpion which is fucking dangerous because then you've got you know the pincer you know, the tail, the stinger, uh, just there's so many different types of creatures just in the books. Like that is disregarding any that just you yourself as a dungeon master create. Like it is so many different paths available to you. In summary, it is worth consideration to plan out why the giant beasts that exist in the world are out there. And there are a lot of different angles that you as a dungeon master can take to implement them in your world, even outside of just as a threatening monster. And I highly encourage you to do so. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Tier stars those a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Support and get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord, where we will chat with the cast and even a shout-out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Podcast, and you can send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs and rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.